yeah, right in front of us. It was the first time I'd ever seen a mountain lion in the wild. Uh, same for my wife. And we both just happened to be like kind of staring ahead at the road. We saw the whole thing. And, uh, and it was just like a really special little moment um, that we got to share together. Episode 389, Anna Katz and Shane Robinson talk about the swimming holes of Washington. This episode is brought to you in part by Kind. Kind makes delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients. If you guys haven't tried it yet, their pressed bars by Kind are the best in my opinion. Go try the mango apple chia. It's awesome. We've got a special offer for you guys to try 20 Kind snacks with their new snack pack. You can enjoy 50% off and free shipping on your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through Snack Club, which is Kind's monthly snacks subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com slash sports for more details. That's kindsnacks.com slash sports to learn more and to subscribe to the Snack Pack. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hey guys, before we get going, I would like to give a shout out to our latest patrons. We have Steve, Joseph, William, Marvin, Vico, Paul, and Travis. They've all recently signed up to be patrons of the show. If you'd like to support the Adventure Sports Podcast, please consider becoming a patron. It only costs $5 a month. And as a show patron, you'll get exclusive access to our new Life Outside the Box series episodes. Not only that, but you'll also have the opportunity to win some of the demo product giveaways that we'll be giving away in the future. I hope you guys will consider becoming patrons. Now on with the show. Hey, welcome again to the Adventure Sports Podcast. You know, what would you do if you lived in a state where it rained nine or ten months of the year? What would you do if that state had over 8,000 lakes and even 70,000 miles of river? You know where I'm talking about yet? This is not Minnesota. What would you do with something like that as far as an adventure sport? One thing that might work is swimming, if you could find the sun, or if you are willing to swim when the sun was not out. And our guests today are the experts on swimming in such a state. Have you guessed what the state is yet? Welcome Shane Robinson and Anna Katz to the Adventure Sports Podcast to talk to us about swimming in new and insightful ways. Hi. Hi. Thanks, Kurt. <laughs> so what, what is this mystery state that you guys are in? We live in Washington State. Washington State. And so I, most people would know when I said how much rain, you know, seasonal rain was there, that maybe I was talking about Washington. But I think what would surprise people is the number of lakes and rivers that are there. Yeah, well, all that, all that rain has to go somewhere, right? Exactly. And that's not even to mention all the coastline. You also have the salt water, and you have the mountains, and you have the forests, and you even have the plains in the east, right? Yeah, it's true. Shane, you said that you spent quite a bit of time in Buena Vista. Um, you are not only a guy who helped to uh, put together a book, by the way, called The Swimming Holes of Washington, but you are also a kayaker, a, uh, a rafting guide. You've done international travel kayaking, and you currently do a lot of ski guide work, right? Yeah, I, I used to work as a whitewater raft guide, and... Um used to do a lot more kayaking. I still enjoy kayaking, but it's it's gotten to be a little bit more of a back burner sport. Um, and I also currently work as a ski guide professionally now, uh, but just generally enjoy exploring the mountains, whether by river, snow, or swimming. And Anna, what you mentioned before we hit record here, I thought was kind of unique. 
you said that you are a a writer and mm-hmm. that you like to call yourself an endurance writer, that that's your sport. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Not all of us are able to go out and climb mountains. Um, but, you know, it takes something special to sit for eight hours straight at a computer and just crank out the words. Well, you know what? I think you're a little bit more than that. I, I'm going to label you as a true Northwestie. Can I do that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that you swim a lot, that you love being outside around water, that that's just your thing. But not only on the sunny days, you swim year-round in all kinds of weather up there in Washington State. Yeah, that's right. Um, about five years ago, a group of friends, we call ourselves the Water Monkeys, we started swimming um, all winter and then all spring and all summer and all year round. Um, and it it was just a few of us at first, and now it's grown to maybe 10 or 20 people. We meet every Sunday and we go in rain or shine, February or July, it doesn't matter. Where do you swim in February in Washington? We swim in Lake Washington. So we it's some urban swimming. Uh, we can just it's about a mile from my house. We just go down to the beach and, and there it is. And Lake Washington is beautiful and it's right next to the city. Well, now Shane, you'll probably relate to this one. I used to kayak in the wintertime, but that was with, you know, a splash jacket and a nice thick wetsuit and, you know, the whole nine yards. And I loved it, but I don't know about swimming in the wintertime without that. So Anna, do you guys use wetsuits and all that? Or are you just out there braving it? We're just going in our bathing suits. It actually, for us, it, there becomes a turning point where it would be too much effort to put on the gear. And then, you know, you'd have to take it off in the freezing cold in the rain. And it's just kind of a mental game. It's more fun to go without any protection. <laughs> Yeah, just do we just face the elements? Yeah, how cold is cold? It gets down to the mid 40s and, and even sometimes drops into the low 40s in the dead of winter. Um, and and at that level, like the difference between let's say 68 degrees and 69 degrees isn't that big, but when you're down in the 40s, every degree you can really tell the difference. Now, are you talking water temperature or air temperature? Water temperature. Burr. <laughs> that yeah. is craziness. And we go out when it's uh, when it's cold, like it, when there's snow on the ground. We'll still go out. Well, what I used to enjoy doing was kayaking down a, a mountain slope covered in snow and then splashing into the river. And uh, Shane, you'll you'll probably know about this. We wouldn't let it count as real kayaking unless we at least did a roll, which meant that our heads would get wet and my skull would cramp. You would lose your ability to breathe a little bit. So, Anna, is it like that for you? Yes, it, it is. And and you, we stand on the beach and we look out at the water and we know exactly what we're getting into and that we're going to have that really intense sensation and it's not going to be comfortable and we don't really want to do it. It would be much nicer to go home and drink a cup of hot cocoa, but we do it anyway. <laughs> okay, I have to ask why. Uh, that is a good question. And probably a lot of your listeners have heard of or do cold water plunges. And there's just something about it. Uh, part of it is the 
you know, the mind control, playing that game with yourself, uh, making yourself face discomfort. And then part of it is afterwards, you just feel alive. Mm. Well, that sounds really exhilarating. I can say that much. It's exhilarating and it's a little bit crazy. So what about hypothermia? Have you had, to, had any issues with that? We don't stay in that long. So I, I believe hypothermia, you're more at risk after 10 or 15 minutes. So we max, we stay in 10 minutes. 10 minutes. And then we just all run home and, and hop in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> so up to 20 people doing this. And uh, is there a lot of hooting and hollering and encouragement to, to get everyone to... Is it is it one of these oh peer pressure things? Or is everyone there that they would do it whether anyone else showed up or not? Yeah, we all we all show up on our own and we kind of will give each other a hard time if, if one of us doesn't show up, but it, there's definitely no pressure. And when we get in, since we do it every week and, you know, instead of like once a year where you really get pumped about it, we do it every week. And so we'll definitely walk in and there'll be some swearing and some complaining. And then we get in and Either it'll be kind of meditative and quiet and you just watch the ducks and, and the wind and it's really beautiful and still, or we just sort of chat like we're hanging out at a coffee shop, but we happen to be standing in Lake Washington. That actually sounds like a lot of fun, Anna. I totally get why you would do that. It, it sounds it like is. a blast. <laughs> and it Shane, is. It is a blast. Shane, you yeah. made a career out of water sports for a long time there. Yeah, well, especially raft guiding. I spent um, almost nine summers uh, rafting in Colorado on the Arkansas River and a little bit in California and West Virginia as well. And it wasn't a year-round profession, um, although I did work in the ski industry, so I guess another form of water. Well, what is it about water? I mean, I, I, Shane, I mentioned we probably should have you back on just to talk kayaking because your kayaking resume is amazing. Spain, Peru, Ecuador, Russia, you traveled and, and did expedition-style kayaking, which I would like to hear a lot more about. But it's really not the main focus of our show today. But what is it about water? I mean, you're either skiing on it or kayaking on it. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what my connection is, but from a young age, my my parents uh, were really passionate about swimming and water sports and introduced me to swimming. And I, I mean, I almost have memories of swimming before I have memories of walking. And some of my youngest memories are also playing in the snow. And I just love being in the water, whether it's surfing or kayaking or just swimming, hanging out on the beach. Um, and then, of course, skiing. I've continued that profession and I can't explain it. I'm just drawn drawn to that medium. When I was uh, a boy, if there was water nearby, I ended up in it. And it was year-round. It didn't matter. I was always in the water. So that's why I can relate to this. My mom always said that I would fall in accidentally on purpose. And I get it. Yeah. I don't know why some people have that. It's like a magnet. You know, this attraction. You just have to experience it. But I get it. I don't know if all of our listeners get that or not. I do know people that... Even the idea of getting close to water sounds like no fun at all. What is it that, I don't know, let's just dive into that for a second, huh, no pun intended. Um, what is it about water that, that has this? I mean, people love it or hate it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, th I think 
you know, if one thing for me is the, the like submersive quality of it, how it, it's all encompassing and, and that you get that in at least powder conditions in the snow, um, the submersion, uh, of being surrounded by this medium is, is what has a draw to me, I think. And anytime I like go swimming, that feeling of when you dive in or jump in and you just feel it all around you, um, is, is like a, a unique sensation that I'm drawn to. And maybe that's the same thing people are, are afraid of. Cause there is like a, you know, that submersion could feel intimidating or uncomfortable. And so I, you know, I could see how some people could be drawn to that. Other people could be repelled by that or nervous, anxiety, anxious about it. What do you think, Anna? Yeah, I think, uh, for me, there's a lot of it is fear and sort of continually facing fear. Uh, the water around here is, is dark mostly. Um, and so it kind of goes with being afraid of the dark and, uh, but you just, you just get, you just get in anyway. And I think also for growing up here and us, you know, everyone hibernating and as soon as it warms up, everyone just coming out and running to the water, there's just something sort of, uh, primal about it, just needing to get there. And, um, so it's a little bit of, of everything. You know, in literature, Anna, since you're a writer, in literature, there, there's quite a bit about water and it kind of being a metaphor for bigger things, a metaphor for the unknown, even the metaphor for death and the other side and the river sticks and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, where do you think that comes from? Where does that, that kind of idea come from about water? Well, I don't think it's very complicated. I think that the fact that water can very easily kill you um, makes it makes it that way in our imagination. We, we, in our book, we put in a bunch of times, hey, this is for fun, but just remember, water can kill you. And we repeated that over and over, maybe not exactly in that language, but, um, it's, it's, it's a force to be reckoned with. And so, uh, we kind of personify it and turn it into this, this, this metaphor, but it's really not even, it, you don't even have to think of it metaphorically. It's just, something that will kill you. Mm, wow. You know, yet it's life-giving. And if, yet it's life-giving, exactly. We absolutely depend on it for everything. One thing that blows my mind, and I, I've mentioned it on the show before, so listeners, I'm sorry if this sounds repetitive, but one thing that blows my mind is how rare it is, as far as we can tell in our universe, for a planet to exist that has a water cycle, that has liquid, gas, and solid water and how critical that is for life as we know it to exist. And right. it's such a big deal that we live on a water planet and that that water can be in three states. And then when you stop and realize that if, if you want to know how an ecosystem is doing, all you have to do is go measure the water and look at it, analyze the water a little bit. If the water's healthy, the ecosystem most likely is too. If the water is not healthy, then you know that there's a serious problem. It's something about that, just right. the idea of how special and rare it is. That's part of what draws me to water. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think likewise. Yeah, I forget what Star Trek episode it is and who says it, but some there's a character they meet up with that talks about humans and says, 
uh, ugly bags of mostly water. You know what, which one I'm talking about? Shane, um, do you know? I don't. So it's, you know, it's in our bodies. It's, it's everything. Yeah. Good point. I mean, even our cells are filled with water, right? We are water creatures. That's for sure. Maybe that's part of what the mystery is about it. And part of what draws us to it. I don't know, but um, Shane, your world of moving water, kayaking, rafting, that kind of stuff, that takes on a whole new element too, a, an element of, of huge forces and things outside of our control and danger. Is it, do you prefer the, the moving water because of the thrill of it? Is it more dynamic somehow? Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I never really think of myself as a thrill seeker, um, I think it's more that dynamicism, um, and, and trying to have some sense of control within, within it, within the chaos of the moving water is always, um, that, that challenge is always what kept me going and, and trying to get better and push my skill set. Um, but it, it's also just a unique way to see the landscape, um, to be propelled down a, a river canyon. Uh, by the force of the river, uh, it just was always a really enjoyable way to go from point A to point B um, on some basic exploratory level. Hmm. Using, you know, like gravity-assisted exploration, essentially, but um, with with the uh, medium being the water. Uh, you know, John Wesley Powell being like an early... American West explorer used the rivers to explore. And, and that's really what, uh, was the lure to me was, was seeing these different canyons. I got really, um, wanting to like, just check every box. Like, I, have I seen this river yet? No, I have to go see that river. Have I seen this river yet? I got to go see that river. I got more interested in seeing new places rather than going back to the same place over and over. And so it really was like a form of exploration for me. I can see that. I can see how that would lead to a book like this, too. So, Anna, did you have that wanderlust when it came to water? Yeah. For me, it was more about finding a place where I could just hang out and relax. And um, so Shane was more of the go out and explore and find all these little nooks and crannies. And I was all go out and find a place where I can put down my towel and find a, a sunbeam to take a nap in. Mm. Hey, ASP listeners, have you ever tried a Kind Bar? You may have seen them in your local grocery store, coffee shop, or gym. They make delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients. Well, if you're ready to try some tasty and healthy snacks, we've got a special deal for you. Try 20 Kind Snacks from seven of their unique product lines with their new snack pack. You can enjoy 50% off and free shipping on your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through their Snack Club. Snack Club is Kind's monthly snack subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com slash sports for more details on that. I love their pressed bars like the mango apple chia bars, or I pretty much guarantee you're going to love their breakfast bars first thing in the morning when you climb out of that hammock. So take a minute and see what they're creating over at kindsnacks.com slash sports and get your 50% off plus free shipping on your first order. That's kindsnacks.com slash sports. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. 
cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. When I grew up in Oklahoma, I grew up in northeastern Oklahoma, which had clean running rivers and streams, scenic rivers that we would usually canoe on, but also beautiful lakes for fishing and scuba diving and water skiing and all the water sports. When I moved to Colorado, I was really concerned about losing the connection to that because that was really a big deal. And then I found Colorado, of course, it has its water you treat it differently. You do different things in it. But it's here too, even though Colorado really is a semi-arid state, right? But then I kind of translate that to where you are in the Pacific Northwest. You've got the mountains, you have the fast rushing rivers, you have the huge rivers, you have the lakes, you have the salt water. And I would think, man, what a better place could there be if you were a water person than to be in the state of Washington, And why don't you unpack that a little bit for us? What's it like to have that much water around you all the time? Well, a lot of people complain about it. And that's sort of how we say hello around here is we greet a stranger and say, oh, can you believe this rain? Um, (laughs) So that's definitely part of it. Yeah. And, you know, coming from Colorado, I, I think I'm acutely aware of of how much water is here. Like you said, Colorado is a much more arid state and my family still lives there. So anytime I go back to visit, um, I, I really note how dry it is there. Uh, despite, like you said, there are a lot of rivers, there are a number of lakes. Um, you know, all, all the rivers in Colorado originate, originate in Colorado and then, and then leave. So they're, you know, they're fairly small rivers at that point. Um, and when you come out here, I mean, from the second, like if you fly in, it's, you're just surrounded by water. The city of Seattle has ocean on one side and a lake on the other and rivers within it. And, uh, and you just kind of can't escape the, the various water here, whether it's raining or just all the bodies of water that, that surround you. And, and it's clear in the vegetation too. Like right now in the spring, everything is turning green so fast because of our, our copious amounts of water. Plus now we're starting to get the sun to come back um, on the back end of winter. And so it just turns everything vibrant green and brings so much life to this region. Uh, that it's, you know, it's really part of the life out here is the water cycle. Um, I hear, I hear when people come into town in the summer, they always express surprise, especially in August about how green it stays. So even in the driest months, it's, it is pretty much always green and that um is pretty rare i think while most of the country or most of the world in the late summer is turning brown and yellow it's we're we're still green yeah and i love that green and i love that moisture the one thing that i've noted when i've been in the pacific northwest in the summertime is it doesn't get oppressively hot and humid it gets nice and warm beautiful but i never feel that like southeastern us oppressive humidity and to have that much water, but then for it to still be pleasant, that's kind of a, a unique thing, too. 
Yeah, and ultimately that's the ocean uh, regulating our temperatures. Uh, we don't get that cold in the winter because the ocean regulates our general temperatures. And then in the summer, we have a hard time getting uh, very hot weather because, again, we're right beside the ocean and it keeps keeps the heat in check most of the time. We can get a few uh, heat waves when some of the weather patterns shift a bit. But in general, our ocean keeps keeps our temperatures very moderate because we don't get very hot the few days or the couple weeks where it is really hot we don't we don't have any air conditioning or very few people have air conditioning and so that everyone goes and sits by the by whatever body of water is nearby during those times mm, interesting and Shane you're you're outside now I can hear the wind blowing a little bit if the listeners hear that that's what that is and uh I think it's a, well, what's it like right now? I'm just kind of curious. It is right now, April 26th. This is when we're recording this. What's the weather like there? We're, we're having, middle. yeah, go ahead, go ahead Anna. <laughs> Jinx. No, go ahead, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're, we've had a fairly wet spring and this week has been absolutely beautiful. Um, sunny every day and today might be our hottest, potentially record breaking day of the year. Um, we might push into 80 degrees today, which is fairly rare to hit 80 in April um, here in in Seattle. Uh, I don't know if we'll quite get to 80, but it's a, it's an absolutely beautiful day. And rain in the forecast for the weekend, though. So I imagine there's a lot of people trying to take advantage of it, hence me being outside right now. Anna, I want to ask you. Uh, Seattle has a reputation for being a boater's paradise. You know, a lot of a lot of sailing and stuff like that. But your book is Swimming Holes of Washington. So what other water sports and what type of recreational water sports do other people enjoy there? Uh, a lot of people do stand-up paddle boarding. And um, especially in the summer, you can just see people out on the lake. Um, and there's also uh, people do stand-up paddleboard yoga. I don't know if people do that in other parts of the country, probably. Uh, but you'll see groups out there standing on their heads in the middle of the lake. Um, and then we have lots of people, you know, especially near the city, getting really creative uh, with floaties and somehow managing to bring out their coolers full of, full of beer. And um, there'll be big barges of, of young folk out on the water. Um, and then we have all the usual kayaking, uh, canoeing, uh, water skiing. Uh, Shane, do you remember what it's called with the, where the boat's going and someone's surfing behind the boat? Is there a special name for that? Well, there's like wakeboarding and then I, and then, um, when they, like, it's actually without a rope and they're surfing, um, truly stand up surfing the, you know, the wake is weather. Like, I think it's a distinction from wakeboarding, but um, surfing behind the boat uh, is also getting quite common. And then we have uh, crew. A lot of people are into rowing. And something that was that really um, surprised me or I had no idea of when I moved out here was the uh, hydrofoil jet boats. Uh, there's a big festival every year called Seafair, and they have the kind of the old 80s era... Uh, maybe even 70s era is when it started. Um, these like hydrofoil jet boats that race around Lake Washington, and that's a big water event as well. <laughs> I 
That's fun. I don't think there are many places in the United States that focus on water as much as what you're describing. And thus the book. We've got to get into the book here. Swimming Holes of Washington. So why did the two of you decide to write this? Um, It sort of happened randomly. I was uh, taking a class and the acquisitions editor from Mountaineers Books um, happened to be in it. And as a fun little exercise, she said, okay, class, pitch me your ideas. And I, and I had been swimming a lot. um, And so I said, swimming holes. And she said, I love it. I'm going to steal that. And so I thought to myself, no, I I don't think you're going to steal that. And I, so I emailed her the (laughs) next day and um, I wrote a, a proposal and, and, and then Shane and I started talking about it. And Shane is really the expert, the, the mountain man. And I'm the, you know, I'm the endurance writer. And so we kind of were able to combine our skill sets and, um, and our love of the water, shared love of the water and come together and make it happen. Well, how do the two of you know each other? I, I've known Anna's husband, my wife and I, um, practice yoga. He's a yoga teacher and we practice yoga under him, um, and have for many years, probably we, we met him shortly after moving to Seattle. Um, and so it was through Anna's husband that we met each other and, and, and initially in yoga, but then very quickly realized we had a love of water and one summer in particular, just spent a lot of time hanging out at the dock and the beach and lounging beside the water. Mm. Well, let's let's dive into this book a little bit. And I'm going to start with you. What is the general format of the book? Why, why do we have a book on swimming holes? Well, we have a book on swimming holes because there isn't any, at least not for Washington. There's some great ones for other parts of the country. But um, when we were hanging out that summer five years ago, there, we discovered that there were no books. And, um, and like you said at the beginning of the podcast, there's 8,000 lakes and 70,000 miles of river. So this book could be infinite and, you know, there could be a million editions in the future, but we just wanted to, uh, give people a place to start and also to show. So we, we created, we, um, include a range of places, places where you have to really hike in. And then also just urban spots and spots where you can just pull over your car and park and get in the water on your way back from mountain climbing or whatever your uh, activity was of the day. And so we wanted to kind of show that there you can find a swimming hole in Washington if you're looking for one. Hmm. Okay. And uh, Shane, what does the book do for us? Is it a guidebook, a how to find these places? Um, it's primarily a guidebook. Um, so we're, we're telling you specific spots, you know, how to get there, you know, both GPS directions and driving directions. And then if needed trail directions, um, what to expect once you're there. Uh, one of the things we add is kind of who, who you might expect to see there. Um, one spot in particular comes to mind is, uh, when I went and found it, it was full of a bachelor party and, you know, all it's a, it's a cliff jump. So a lot of testosterone, a lot of dudes. And, <laughs> and then there's other places that are more family oriented. Uh, some are a little bit more backwoodsy and, and like Anna said, uh, some are more urban. So, so kind of like a flavor of, of the swimming hole. 
but along the way, we have a few anecdotes and try to give some people some encouragement to go find their own as well. Not necessarily guidance on finding their own, but just encouragement because, like we've said, there's just so much water out here. Uh, it, you know, these these things aren't like super top secret spots. They're just a, a selection of the thousands of of places you can swim out here. Well, that's fun. And so I would I would assume then that you have a description of what it's like, what the scene is like, how to get to it, best times to be there, all that sort of stuff in the book. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay. I, I'm getting the picture. And you know what? I remember when I moved to Colorado, like like we mentioned, it's a little bit drier of a state. And I kind of lost a little context with this. But I remember back in northeastern Oklahoma, going swimming was like what we did. Going swimming was the goal. And a book like this would be a ton of fun because you could go find all those new places you hadn't been and hadn't even thought about going. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That that was our intention. Okay, I have to ask, because I know that people are wondering, or maybe I'm the only weird one. I come from a tradition of uh, people that grew up in the Ozarks, hillbillies, who didn't even have swimsuits, and skinny dipping was a thing. And it wasn't risque, and it wasn't usually mixed company. It's just how people swam. Is there an element of that to this book or to the Pacific Northwest? I I think I think there probably is an element in the Pacific Northwest how and I um, really expected to find more people skinny dipping, but I was surprised that I found virtually no spots that had like a culture of of that happening. At least not that I saw. Um, I my wife and I are really um, into hot springs, and that's uh, you know a much more common uh, characteristic of hot springs is to just go skinny dipping. Um, and any any of the hot springs I've been out to here in the Northwest definitely have that that um attitude but i didn't personally find any spots um that were skinny dipping although i now that i talk about it there are one or two spots um one spot in particular in the book that's in seattle it's like an urban very urban spot and we do note that that um it's kind of become a de facto nude beach um unofficial nude beach and so so there is there is that, and that's actually in the city, um, oddly enough, and not not one of the more uh, remote spots. So, so the purpose of the book wasn't to lead people to these places as much as just to call it out, so you'd be aware if you were going to head that direction, right? Yeah, we. I thought I thought for sure we'd have a handful where that would need to be like brought to people's attention, but uh, but it wasn't the case. It it, it was um, almost surprisingly that like I didn't find that. Mm, okay. Well, why should someone buy your book? People should buy our book because uh, the photographs are really beautiful. Shane took most of the photographs, and he has a great, great eye. Um, so they're sort of an aspirational, if you want cool pictures of people swimming and having fun out in the water, there's that. Um, and then, of course, we there's, I believe, 70 swimming holes. So if you want to just kind of get some ideas and get some cool spots to go, go do this summer, then you should get the book and that'll get you started. A lot of people really like lists because they like to check things off. They like to say, I've done everything on the list. So I could see this book would be a fun way to do that. If people really like to swim and said, hey, why not? Let's see if we can go to every one of these. I think that could be fun. What would that be like, Shane? Yeah, that would be a fun challenge. Um, I I ended, like Anna said, I did a lot of the 
exploration for these and found most of them, but not all of them. Um, and so Anna, Anna contributed, you know, a handful. And then we had a few other, uh, friends, uh, contribute some of their favorites as well. Um, and so I haven't even checked off, uh, all of them yet, but it, you know, it's kind of on my list out there when I can, when I can make it happen among all my other activities, I'd like to go check out those ones that I haven't been to yet. And I think that would be a, a fun thing for somebody to try. Maybe, maybe someone will even beat me to it. Now, does the book call out better ways to experience the various swimming holes? And the reason I, I bring that up is, you know, some places are really good on an inner tube. Some places you can snorkel. Some places it's more like the beach is amazing. The water is frigid. You know what I mean? Does the book call all that kind of stuff out? It does. We we uh, we say where where the best spots are to lounge. You know what time of day, where you want to be to the for the best sun. Uh, we talk about what the activities are around there, um, either at the spot or nearby. So uh, if people want to go on a big hike and then on their way home get in the water, we have that going on. So we really try to be specific about different activities, um, what people are doing there, if it's, you know, a party scene or if it's really quiet, all that kind of stuff. So people can really look and find the particular swimming hole that will be the best for them. As I'm sure you know from listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, some of the safest and best snow conditions for backcountry skiing of the whole year happen in the springtime. And Bentgate has the gear you need. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear, so you can get your skis and your boots there, as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts, so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events. So Shane, what about that pristine hidden mountain spot? Is that in the book too? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, like Anna said, there's a couple that require a hike in. Um, I can't think off the top of my head what the longest hike is. It's probably, probably. pristine six miles ish. And and there's a, but I can think of a handful that are like two plus miles to get to. Um, and some of them were, de- you know, some of them were definitely very pristine and uncrowded if you're willing to put in that effort. Now, did you snorkel any of these? My wife has taught me to, like, if we're going swimming, to always pack swim goggles, um, like lap type swim goggles. And so I usually have those in my backpack if I think I might be doing some swimming. And so then I would just, you know, more in like a free dri- free diving sort of method where I just dive under the water, swim as long as I could hold my breath and then come back up for air rather than a full snorkel is just my personal style. But I do believe we like, we talk about some river snorkeling and that's definitely becoming a thing out here. Yeah. And if you, if you can handle the cold, 
we have a, a lake called Lake Crescent um, on the peninsula, and it's uh, very clear. There's something in the water that makes it so that it doesn't get very much um, green matter in there. So you can really see long distances and people will go snorkeling there, but it's really cold, even in the summer. Mm, okay, so maybe a wetsuit would make that more enjoyable. Yes. Well, the reason I asked is I grew up swimming in the streams of Oklahoma, like I mentioned. And it wasn't until I was probably 17 years old that I grabbed a snorkel and started looking under the water. And I my I was just, my mind was blown by what was down there that I'd been swimming with all this time and had never seen. There are fish that you can't catch with a rod and reel. And, yeah. you know, there's water life that you would never expect. So what kinds of things might people see if they went exploring under the surface a little bit? Yeah, well, just like you said, you do definitely see a lot of fish uh, if you're if you have some goggles or, uh, you know, any way to see underwater uh, with some clarity. And then you, you get a lot more like uh, three dimensionality out of the river, especially a river, but a lake, too, uh, because I think if you don't have those goggles on even if you open your eyes under the water, everything's so blurry, it's it's hard to distinguish some of the features. But with goggles and that clarity that comes with that, you can start to see like that there's boulders and you can swim under them and around them and, and you get that depth perception. Um, and like you said, it can be really like eye-opening to like how much is going on underneath the surface of the water. Hmm. If someone is an open water swimmer, maybe a distant swimmer, then would this book help them find new places to try that? Yeah, we have a number of pretty good-sized lakes. I don't think we specifically call out um, how good the, those particular places would be um, for you know dedicated open water swimming. But I think if you're already in into that sort of thing, it wouldn't be hard to to surmise which spots within the book would would make sense to do that activity uh but i can think of a handful of lakes right off the top of my head that are in the book and they're 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 big enough that you could go for a good size swim there hmm. and anna you're the year-around swimmer are your friends that are doing this or any of them open water swimmers um they the, in terms of long distance we not really we all we tend to look at it more as um a, a meditative practice Right. Or a social a social practice for so not for long distance, but in Lake Washington we see always um, almost all year round, not quite. We'll see people swimming just you know a, a bunch a hundred feet from the shore or so, and they they have their buoy tied to their back, and they maybe they have their little pack, their waterproof pack, and they will swim near along the shore. Um, for long distances because it, it's so big and you can just keep going and going and going. Well, let's talk about the meditative practice a little bit. You, you say you do it year round for the social aspect of it, but also as a meditative practice. What are the benefits? Why do you do it? It's like any meditative practice or, or any sort of extreme sport where there's some pain involved, there's some discomfort, but uh, either through experience, you know that once you get to the other side, you'll feel good or because there's something about being in that discomfort that is appealing. Maybe it's just testing your own 
uh, boundaries or your own will, or maybe it's just your masochism, maybe all of the above, but, um, just, just doing it because it's interesting and you have to deal with your mind and you have to deal with your body. Do you think it has health benefits? I'm sure there's tons of scientific studies and there's, um, what's his name? Win Hoff. He's really into swimming, um, all year round. So people do say that it's good for your, your vascular system and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know the statistics. I can say anecdotally that I don't feel as cold during the winter as I used to for whatever reason. I, I feel like it helps um, my, my circulation. And I think also just being outside rain or shine, no matter the season makes it so I don't feel like I'm hibernating as much in the winter. I don't, I'm not just sort of hunkering down and we, you know, we have seasonal affective disorder here and that's a big, big thing, especially with the rain. If you don't, if you just uh, hide away in your house, that can be a problem. So going outside and just being in the elements, I think is really helpful for that. Yeah, that sounds, uh, especially the seasonal affective disorder part. I get that. In Colorado, some people hole up until it gets warm again and other people ski. And you can definitely tell the people that are, are out and about in the wintertime, it seems to me that they're just more energized. And maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm a little myopic on that. But I feel like having something you can do year round really, really does matter, really helps. And I could see how that doing this, even though you're going out in the gray fog and the rain and it's thirty five degrees and the water's forty degrees, it's still it's got to make you feel alive. It, it really does. So what about stories about swimming or about water that uh, make for a good adventure? Well, the one that comes to mind for me, uh, this book ended up being a lot more challenging to like actually get to all the spots um, than I think either Anna or I expected on the front end. And so it became, a, it became an activity that I had to really actively get out and do to like find all these spots. And one weekend I had done all my research. I knew of several spots on what's called the Olympic Peninsula, which is a mountain range to the west of Seattle. A lot of people think Seattle is like on the very west coast, but we actually have a lot of terrain west of Seattle. And so, but it takes some time to get out there. You have to take a ferry and it's a long drive home. And we'd already gone to two spots. Um, we went to a spot in the morning and then we drove a little further and went to a spot kind of middle of the afternoon. Um, and that spot had several spots and, and I knew of yet another, like a, a really nice looking swimming hole with a waterfall that was an hour and a half away, but the wrong way away, like farther away from home. Um, and I had my wife in tow and I asked her, if she thought it'd be okay if we like pushed on and got home really late. And she's like, yeah, you're never going to be back out in this part of the state during the research part of the book. And so, so we just said yes. And we kept driving. And it was getting late in the afternoon, so kind of like afternoon light, and we're kind of on a back road. And as we're driving to the swimming hole, a mountain lion jumped out in front of us and wow. crossed the road, right? Yeah, right in front of us. It was the first time I'd ever seen a mountain lion in the wild. Uh, same for my wife. And we both just happened to be like kind of staring ahead at the road. We saw the whole thing. And, uh, and it was just like a really special little moment um, that we got to share together. And I, I have some similar stories to that with some other wildlife and they all seem to revolve around times when I was like kind of on the fence, whether I should go do this extra 
swimming hole or this extra activity. And I just said, yes, like, let's just like, let's add it in. Like, let's do more. And like, there was always these extra rewards, um, by just saying yes to like doing a little bit more activity or a little bit more exploration. And so I use that as a little bit of a metaphor to like, just say yes and try and squeeze in that extra thing each day because it usually like pays its dividends. Oh, that's fun. And that's, that's kind of along the theme that we're talking about here, getting out and doing things, not staying in the whole idea of using a book like this to go find new places, to have new experiences. And if you don't go, it won't happen. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But you have these uh, amazing memories because you went and it was, it was writing the book that helped encourage you to get out there. Did that kind of impact you and make you want to make sure you always have an excuse? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've spent a lot of time, um, exploring the state by kayak and on skis. Uh, but this, this book really forced me to go into new parts of the state and, and areas that like I might not ever get to if I'd kind of just stayed in those, those two sports that I've spent so much time in. And so, you know, like Anna's talked about the discomfort of cold water swimming. Well, this like pushed me out of my comfort zone, um, by like just going to different areas that I'm not used to going to. Um, and I just had to, because I knew, I knew there were rivers or lakes or I'd heard, um, about a swimming hole in the area and I just had to like go and find it for myself and, and so that was a really fun process that I kind of embraced through the through the book. Was there a location or two that really surprised you? Yeah, the one that um, really uh, was like a pleasant surprise is one. It's called Susan Creek. It's spelled S-I-O-U-X-O-N. And it's down near Mount Adams, closer to Portland than to Seattle. And um I'd done a little bit of research online about it, heard there was a good swimming hole, but couldn't find any good photos and got down there. I had to drive through a lot of, uh, logged forest to get there. And so I was a little, as I was driving, I was getting a little apprehensive about like what I might find, but then I turned a corner and all this, um, forest that hadn't been logged, it's probably protected by some land management. I'm not sure. And then started down this trail. It's more of a hike in variety and it's just a beautiful trail and the river is like crystal clear and beautiful. And then it just had a number of like incredible swimming holes. And that one was totally off my radar prior to the book and is a spot I like really want to go back to, um, and spend more time there. Hmm. Well, you know, some people don't like the feeling of getting waterlogged and I, I'm not really meaning to change the subject, but Anna, I want to ask you because you are the, the, uh, Northwesty, as I said, how do you keep from feeling waterlogged when you're always in the rain or when you spend a lot of time around the water? Um, I just accept it. It's, I mean, there's nothing to be done about it, really. I, uh, you know, I do all the things. I drink a cup of coffee. I have one of those uh, happy blue lights that I drink my coffee in front of in the morning when it's still dark in the dead of winter. Um, and, you know, I just, I keep going outside. I don't let it, I don't let it keep me in. So do you crave the sun or does the sun, sun sometimes seem harsh? Oh, I love the sun. I crave it. Absolutely. And, and most people, you'll, you'll know when it's, it's, the sun has come out for the first time because everyone will be outside. Everyone will look a little bit 
like vampires and we all just run out and everyone is cheerful. You, there's this thing called the Seattle freeze where people who move into town from other places say, oh, we're so, you know, we're so reserved. It's really hard to make friends. And that's true. We're kind of, um, we kind of have a Nordic style of relating to people. Mm. But uh, once the sun comes out, then everyone is friendly and happy and um, there's music playing and it's like just a big fiesta right there outside in the neighborhood. So um, that is, that is just what happens. And I really, you know, we appreciate the sun. We really, really appreciate the sun here because of we get so many dark days. Sure. Oh yeah. Well, you know what I've enjoyed as much about our, our conversation here as anything is learning about the culture in the Pacific Northwest. I think that's really cool. And what an amazing state that is for adventures of all kinds, including going out and finding these off the beaten path swimming holes and experiencing those parts of the state. So thank you so much, one, for sharing that with us, but two, for putting together a book to make it easier for people to get out there, you know? Thank you. Yeah, our pleasure. How can people find the book if they want to buy this book and start chasing swimming holes? It's a, it's available online. Uh, you can buy it through Mountaineers Books, which is our publisher, um, and you can buy it through any other online vendor. Right on. You know, it's definitely well suited to the out. You know, y- your audience, the outdoor enthusiasts. So you know, like REI, and for people in the Seattle region, um, you know, that a lot of the outdoor stores are going to definitely be carrying our book. Um, in addition to the obvious booksellers like Amazon and and other Northwest book vendors. Well, right on. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And, you know, for all the listeners out there, this is a great example of why it matters to get out. You know, like Shane was sharing, it's when you get out there that you have those amazing experiences that you wouldn't have had otherwise. You can overcome seasonal affective disorder. You can, you know, build a bigger, more adventure-filled life by even doing things that don't sound super adventurous, like, hey, let's go swimming today you know? So until the next show, find your adventure. Make sure you do get out there and have some fun. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode with Anna and Shane. Be sure to check out our show notes for the link to their book. Do us a favor, visit us on patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast and consider signing up to become a patron of the adventure sports podcast. Until the next time, get out and have some fun. 